All right, well, good morning, dear brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you, and almost Happy New Year. And uh, as we take a, a, a brief three-week uh, look at the uh, chapter, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, in between the end of our Advent series in Ruth and the beginning of our Easter series in just a few short weeks in Esther, uh, I do hope the Lord will use this time in his word in this particular chapter to continue to encourage us in our life together. And so we'll be in this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And before we uh, read the word, let me give you the key truth that I hope we will walk away with from these verses this morning. The key truth I hope we will see is this. We have each been gifted so that in community we can participate in the fellowship of the triune God for his glory, our joy, and the life of the world. Let me say that one more time. We have each been gifted so that in community we can participate in the fellowship of the triune God for his glory, our joy, and the life of the world. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we consider this very important and practical chapter of the Bible over the next several weeks, we will, as I've been saying, I hope we will see what this has to teach us about our life together as Christ's community church. Now, at one level, of course, these things will be very familiar to us all because these themes are the particular burden or have been the particular burden of the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church for many years. Uh, How we are to worship together how we are to pursue and to know God together, how we're to use our individual gifts to love and to serve one another, how we're to bear with one another in hospitality and with patience and in love, Uh, how we're to participate in mission together with one another, and and many such things. These things have been the particular burden of the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church for many years. And each of the sermon series, I hope you've noticed this, each of the sermon series, looking back from Ruth, we were just there, to Romans, looking back at the intensive intensive look at the sacraments that we we did not too long ago, or, or to worship, Uh, looking back at uh, the sermon series we did from Proverbs about wise, practical living, or the biblical teaching on the Holy Spirit. Each of these has been carried through upon the conviction that our growing love for God 
is inseparable from our growing love for one another, particularly as that is expressed in the way that we serve hospitably one another for the life of the world. And those of you who have gone through the membership process, you'll have heard us say, almost at the very beginning of that process, that our desire for each one of you during your time at Christ Community Church, whether that is long or short, our desire for each one of you is that you will be able to say that through it all, you grew in your love for God and your love for the church. That's what success looks like for us, if we had to put a word to it. That's what, by God's grace, we are aiming to do. And so at one level, I, I hope these things will be very familiar to us. And yet at another level, we always stand in need of fresh encouragement and renewed conviction in this truth. Or in the truth, as I put it in the, the title of this sermon, that life with God just is life in community. To, to live with God, to walk with the Lord, is to walk in community. And, and by the way, that's the universal testimony uh, of the entire history of redemption, from the very Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve and gave them that wonderful command to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the whole world with worshipers of the Lord. And of course, the great rupture in that relationship, in their sin and in their being cast away east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord. And then God's mighty and miraculous movement to go back into history to redeem his people, first by calling Abraham and saying, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's community through and through. And of course, we see that over and over and over again until the very end of the story, as it's pictured for us in the book of Revelation, when God dwells with his people at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and of course, you can't forget how often God rebuked his people Israel for their false worship as it was expressed in the way that they refused to be neighborly to those who were near to them. Their, their injustice, uh, the way in which they sought to cheat one another, revealed the emptiness of their own worship. And so these things throughout Holy Scripture, throughout the redemptive story, are inseparably connected. In the same way that Jesus taught us, that the two great commandments upon which all the testimony of the prophets and the law hang on are love for God and love for neighbor. And we cannot separate these two. So, so life with God is life in community. And so we will take the next couple of weeks to really tease out this truth and see how we might live it better as Christ Community Church. First by seeing the Trinitarian foundation of this truth this week, and then taking the next two weeks, next week, seeing how we can live this out very practically in our small groups, and then uh, the week following in the way that we worship on Sunday mornings. So, so to jump in a little bit uh, in the beginning of this chapter, let me give you a brief background to Paul's letter to the Corinthians here. Uh, many of you know that Paul wrote this letter to a church that he had helped to establish on his second missionary journey. And we can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. We know that as was his custom, when he arrived in Corinth, he began to preach in the synagogue, trying to reason with the Jewish people there that Jesus is the Messiah, the one they were waiting for. And we know that he immediately attracted a lot of opposition to this. We know that it was also very encouraging to him to befriend uh, Priscilla and Aquila, two faithful Christians who, like him, were tent makers by trade and hosted him in their home. I'm sure that was a great encouragement to him. But still, it, it was difficult going. And, and, and it was so difficult, in fact, that at one point, Jesus had to appear to Paul and encourage him by saying, don't be afraid, Paul. Continue to preach because I have many people in this city. 
And I'm sure as they reflected upon that truth and year, years later, as the Corinthian people began to realize how much they needed Jesus, how much they needed to hold on to this gospel truth, how wonderful it must have been to them to reflect on the fact that Jesus from long ago had many people in that city and that he used the ministry of Paul to draw them to himself. But we know that it was difficult going for Paul and he labored there for about a year and a half and then left for more fruitful ministry in Ephesus. And it seems that almost immediately after he had left, the Corinthian church descended into disunity and into all sorts of immorality. Now, probably some of this, at least, was occasioned by the fact that in the Corinthian church, there was a great diversity, a great mixture of people from all different walks of life. And not as was customary in their culture, the task before them was to learn how to live in love towards one another. And this was a very difficult thing for them, one that they had to work out through, uh, work out through many years. And so that was probably at least part of the reason why they quickly descended into so much division and backbiting and so much foolishness. And so in great agony of spirit and in great love for these people, Paul composed this letter and 2 Corinthians as well. And in these, both these letters, we really see the heart of Paul. And, and as you go through them, we won't obviously have time to uh, explore every nook and cranny of these letters, but you really get a flavor for what, what made Paul tick here and, and just what an extraordinary, God-fearing, loving man he really was in these chapters. And, and I think we do see that here in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. So that's a little bit of the background here. And, and, and it's one of the reasons why in this particular chapter we have such an extended treatment upon the nature of the church. What really is the church? Who really are we as the gathered body of believers here? Are we just a resource for each of our individual spiritual journeys? I mean, at the end of the day, is that really what the church is? You're, you're kind of going it alone, but you, but you need some help from time to time, and so the church is kind of a resource for you to, to make it along the way. Is that what we are? Are we, are we a resource? Are we merely an institution? Maybe a nonprofit that is aiming to do some good in the world? But that, that's kind of the sum of it. But what really are we? Well, these questions may seem fresh and new to us, but they were just as imminent, just as important for the Corinthians in Paul's day. And it's one of the reasons why he composed these words in this chapter and one of the reasons why they remain so relevant for us as well. Well, see here three, I think, things that Paul corrects that the Corinthians were at least ignorant about, or perhaps they misunderstood in these verses. And first, see, in verses one through three, that the Corinthians were ignorant that all spiritual insight and all spiritual gifts come to us by God's grace. All spiritual insight and all spiritual gifts come to us by God's grace. Brothers and sisters, when Paul began this letter, he wanted the Corinthians to know that nothing about themselves was the cause of their being folded into the family of God. And they often got this wrong. And so that's why Paul says in these opening words, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, you were at one time uninformed. At one time, you were led astray by mute idols. But I want you to know that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. So contrary to what the Corinthians were sometimes tempted to think, spiritual gifting or extraordinary spiritual gifting is no sure mark of spiritual maturity. Rather, spiritual maturity is displayed in how we use whatever gifts we've been given for the glory of the Lord by service to one another. 
brothers and sisters, very practically, what this means is that your gifts, your story, your testimony, your temperament, none of these things is random or accidental. They've been weaved by God for a purpose. If none of us can even give the basic Christian testimony that Jesus is Lord, except by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, then we can see that none of our spiritual life, including all of our gifts, including the things that we notice or don't notice in the local church, including the temperament that we have, the preferences that we have, none of these things are ours by any merit of ourselves or anything that we've cultivated. They're there because of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us these things for a purpose. He's given us these things so that we can glorify the Lord by service to one another. And this is what the Corinthians failed to understand. They thought that great spiritual gifting, especially the really showy and flashy gifts, things that seem to give people a platform, were really there given them to them by God so that you know, they could exhibit appreciate how wonderful they were. And of course, this attitude often led them to ignore or to not sufficiently appreciate their other brothers, other, other brothers and sisters who had gifts that were maybe more modest or more routine. So we here need to attend to the fact that none of our story, none of our gifts is, is random or accidental. It's been given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can use it in service to one another. And so that what this, very, what this means very practically is if we notice in the local church that things are not quite what they ought to be, then maybe that is an indication that the Holy Spirit is pressing upon us the fact that he has gifted us for service so that the church can be what it ought to be. I think too often we are so quick to say, well, not everything is going in the local church the way I would like it to go. Therefore, maybe I need to go somewhere else where people can serve my needs. But in fact, your particular temperament, the things that you notice, your spiritual story, your, your testimony, your insights have been given to you by the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. And so the first question we ought to ask is, is the Spirit prompting me to greater service for the good of the local church? Your presence here, brothers and sisters, is not by accident. It's not by chance. We've just been spending a whole month or more talking to one another, encouraging one another in the truth that nothing happens to us by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. That's a wonderful truth. It's wonderful that our presence here, even this morning, is not accidental. It's not by chance. It's by our Heavenly Father's hand. And that's not random. It's given to you as an opportunity for service to Him and in love to one another. So we need you. We do. Each and every single one of you, we need you. The gifts of God's people are essential for the effectiveness of the church, of the working of the church. The gifts that you've been given, however modest they may seem to you, the gifts that you've been given are essential for the effective working of God's purposes in the world. I think of Sandy and the solos. I think of many of the ways in which you all have been so hospitable to me and to the staff and to each other. I think of so many examples, but I think I might embarrass folks if I kept going along these lines. So let me give you an example from Legacy, the assisted living facility that Sonia and Rebecca and some of Rebecca's kids and I have been privileged to every other week uh, give a, a small worship service at. These things have been very beautiful and encouraging to us. And, and we were just discussing uh, as a group the other week how wonderful the Lord has been to bring particular people to each of those gatherings that, at least from our perspective, were so necessary to the flourishing of each of those meetings. 
If you take away one of these people, the meeting is just not the same at all, and the encouragement is not there. In particular, there have been, over the years we've been going, I think it's almost been about three years, there have been three uh, men in particular the Lord has used to really just add a certain kind of flavor to each of those meetings. And it's been very interesting. Rebecca noticed this the other week. The Lord, in his mysterious wisdom, has decided that we will only have one of these men at a time. (laughs) We've never had a meeting where all three of them have been present. But if you take away one of these guys, the meetings just have not been the same. So first it was George, and George was a man, we'd always say, George, it's good to see you this morning, and he would say, well, it's better to be seen than carried. And we'd say, okay, well, that's George. But, but he would sing out, he, he, he was present, he, he was, he was, he was amening this and that, and, and just added a flavor to the meetings there, that if you take away George, it's not the same. Well, after a time, George passed away. We were very sad about that. But almost the very next week, Larry came along. And it was just the same thing. Larry had a very deep, booming, baritone voice. I mean, you could hear him at the very back of the room. And man, our singing, it just seemed to improve dramatically because everyone was encouraged. Man, if Larry can sing like this, we can too. And so it added a kind of joy that was maybe missing from our gatherings up to that point. Well, after a time, Larry moved to another facility. And almost, I'm not joking, almost the very next week, Lindsay showed up. And Lindsay had a, has a wonderful testimony about how the Lord saved him, how he used to teach history at the University of Nevada and, and, and knows so many people and is so knowledgeable and so encouraging to the people there at Legacy and, and to all of us there. Well, my point is that the Lord in his kindness and goodness has drawn each of these men at various and strategic times to our gatherings together and it's made all the difference. And none of these guys is thinking to himself, well, you know, I have all these wonderful spiritual gifts, and, you know, I'm, I'm God's gift to these people. No, he's just, he's, the, he's there. And he's there using the gifts that God has given him to sing out, to encourage uh, each of the, the believers there, and has made the world a difference to our gatherings here. In the same way, it's harder, I think, maybe for us to notice it in this context, but maybe that's more of a fault with us than anything else. Maybe it's just that we're not paying attention like we should be doing. But in the same way, if you take away any one of us from this gathering, from this church, from this church family, something is missing, and we're not what we ought to be. And if the Lord has brought you here to this place, and he's given you a particular set of gifts, certain spiritual insights, a particular burden for a kind of ministry, and you're disconnected, or for any reason whatever, you're, you're not able to enter fully into the full use of those gifts, our church is not what it ought to be. And so as we think about this theme of festivity, as we think about how to cultivate among the, uh, that among our body, remember that each of you is critical to the effectiveness of that. And that's not just so that we can you know, feel better about our gatherings on Sunday morning, it's so that the Lord can be glorified as we witness together to the ways in which he's uniquely gifted all of us to serve his glorious purposes in the world for the life of the world. So that's the first thing the Corinthians missed and that sometimes we miss. All spiritual insight and all spiritual gifts come to us for a purpose by the Holy Spirit. But see in verses four through six, the Spirit works within the unity of the triune Godhead. Notice that there's a Trinitarian formula in these verses. Paul says, beginning in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, 
but the same Lord. I believe that's a reference to Jesus, mainly because Paul has just said in verse 3 that no one can ever say that Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. So I'm pretty sure that's a reference to Jesus. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So you see here, beloved, that the Spirit acts together with the Trinity. In the unity of the Trinity, the gracious God that we serve gives us gifts for his service to one another. And and this is a wonderful thought. Sometimes I think that we, well, anyway, if you're like me, you sometimes struggle. You you really struggle. All right, how how do I get my mind around the Trinity and what a difference it makes to my Christian walk? What a difference it makes to the way that I think about my service in the local church? But, but you see here that for Paul, it's intensely practical. I mean, the, the, the Trinity is really the foundation for his thinking about how we are to relate to one another. J.I. Packer says that communion with God is a relationship in which Christians receive love from and respond to love to all three persons of the Trinity. So when we think about the Father initiating our salvation and the Son accomplishing our salvation and the Spirit applying our salvation, we are to respond in love and gratitude and in praise to all three persons of the Trinity. Now this is very practical for us because we see that at the foundation of reality, in the very essence of the Godhead, is community. From all of eternity, God has not been lonely. God has not lacked for someone to love. God has not lacked for deep and intimate communication. No, from all of eternity, God has existed in divine community. So when the Lord in great mercy and grace draws us into fellowship with him, he does it so that we can experience this same community. Now, many of us struggle with this because we think, all right, well, but in my my individual experience, sometimes I really struggle to feel that community of the Spirit. And, and, And God knows this. But he challenges us on this very point and says, don't you see my people? This is the community that I've folded you into so that you can experience that divine community in the company of all those whom Jesus has saved, all those whom the Spirit has poured out his love, all those in whom the Spirit has gifted for service to you and to others for our joy and for the Lord's glory and for the life of the world. So life with God just is life in community. And this means very practically that community is integral, integral to, as is, I'll say it this way, community is as important to us as our very abiding in Jesus Christ. So often I think we tend to divorce these two things. And partly it's no help that we live in a culture that is intentionally, intensely individualistic, but so often we divorce these things. And what this means is that we often treat community as sort of like a, a, the cherry on top at the best. You know, uh, things that, that you can, if you can get them, they're good. And, and definitely the church is, is an important resource for how, how we think about the Christian life, how we walk the Christian life. But, but very rarely or very slowly are we to recognize that the, the community that God has folded us into, this church family, is as, necess- as necessary to our Christian walk, as is our abiding in Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that the church is Christ, is Christ, subsisting in the world through his people. And the first time I read that, I thought, hmm, interesting. I mean, really? Now, now we can go all sorts of weird directions, and sometimes churches have gone in odd directions with this, and it's almost as if they've conflated these two things, so they've not made a necessary distinction between Jesus and his people. 
And we do need to be cautious about that. But I think too often we go in far too much the other direction, where we draw such a hard and fast distinction between Jesus and his bride, between Jesus and his people, that we almost think that we can have a perfectly fine and good relationship with Jesus without any real meaningful connection to his people. And Jesus says, no, you can't. In fact, he says to us, you must abide in me, but don't forget that the way that you will abide in me is your perseverance with my people. And the love that you have for them will be a clue, will be an indication of the love that you have for me. So I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at the end of the day, is very right. The church is Christ in the world, subsisting through his people. And in this way, the fellowship that we have together mirrors the fellowship, the community of the triune Godhead. And by the way, that's one reason why you will never find in the New Testament a verse with words to the effect of, thou shalt join a local church. Because from the perspective of the New Testament, that's just what the New Testament is about, you almost might say. If we're asking the question that sometimes we ask ourselves, and I've asked myself the question, all right, why do I need to be part of a local church? Why do I need to invest in a local church? Why do I need to use my gifts in the local church to be a Christian? The Bible just says, well, don't you know what a Christian is? To be part of God's people is what a Christian is. To, to know Christ is to know his people. To be folded into the divine fellowship is to be folded into the community of God's people. So this is not a truth that, that we can use to ignore the necessity of God's people, but it's also not a truth that just casually glosses over the difficulties that are sometimes inherent in community with people like you and me who are sinners, who are saved, who are saints, but who still struggle. And often the ways that we struggle are in these very ways of relational connectedness, in relational community. So this is not a truth that allows us to pretend that difficulties are not attendant to these things, and it doesn't automatically right every wrong or create automatically deep and authentic community. No, we need deep and faith-filled effort and cultivation of these things by God's help and the Spirit's power. But it is a truth that must encourage us to persevere in this. And it's a truth that encourages us even now. Those of us here who have not given up, who have not given up on community with God's people, who have recognized, yes, it is a slow, sometimes it's a painful, sometimes it's a difficult thing, but continue to press on. Because this is what the worship of the Lord looks like. Worship in spirit and in truth. Over and over and over again, the Lord reminds us the genuineness of our worship is reflected in the genuineness of our life together. And if we want to grow in our worship together, we simultaneously have to grow in our life together. These things are inseparable. We cannot disconnect them. Here's how a famous theologian called Miroslav Volf, here's how he puts it in his book, After Our Likeness, The Church is the Image of the Trinity. I think these words are helpful. He says, Because the Christian God is not a lonely God, but rather a communion of the three persons, faith leads human beings into the divine community. One cannot, however, have a self-enclosed communion with the triune God, for the Christian God is not a private deity. Communion with this God is at once also communion with those others who have entrusted themselves in faith to the same God. Hence, one and the same act of faith places a person into a new relationship, both with God and with all others who stand in communion with God. 
Brothers and sisters, this may be a very familiar truth to us all, but it's one that we often need to hearken back to in our minds and in our meditation. One and the same act of faith that places us in communion with God places us in communion with his people. We'll see thirdly and finally that the Corinthians failed to see, and sometimes we can fail to see, that because we are gifted by a divine community, our gifts empower us for and are properly expressed by life and community. If the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in your heart, as William still says, he is not there nakedly or just merely there. He's there with something for you. He's there with gifts for you. And these gifts are given to you so that you can use them in God's community, in God's church, for the life of the world. Now, this might be a difficult thing for those of us who are maybe shy or introverted, and we sometimes wonder, all right, well, what does that look like for me? Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, that, maybe that's a very easy truth for someone who's more extroverted to apply in their lives, but what about me? But don't forget that each of the gifts that you've been given, the life story that God has woven in your life over the course of your particular history has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. He's not there just barely. He's there with something for you to do among the people of God. And without the exercise of the gifts of God's people in the life of the church, the church quickly falls into formalism or even superstition. And many, we're facing this in our day, I think, and it's something we need to be aware of. Many in our day are attracted to the proposition that more formalism will solve the problem of our lack of engagement in the church. And what this often looks like is, well, if only we had deeper experiences of the transcendent, of the transcendence of God, then that would really make us feel more connected to him. But I do not think from these, from these verses that this will ultimately answer the problem that we feel. It's only by a clear recognition of who and whose we are and response to that that, that manifests, that, that gives a reality to that in service to one another that we will present an effective witness to the world, to a world that is lost in loneliness and disconnection. So it, it would take us too far afield of our purpose to go through each of the gifts that Paul lists in these verses here. But, but let me take note of a few of them and just show you the ways in which, for Paul at least, and I think for us as well, the Spirit has uniquely gifted us for service to one another, no matter who we may be, whether we're extroverted or introverted. I think of this gift of faith. Some of you have this gift of faith. Now, this is not the gift of faith that is required of us all, that the Spirit gives to us when we believe upon Jesus Christ and place our hope and trust in him. This seems to be a, a particular gift that is able to see with clearer eyes those ways in which the Lord is able to work among his people that some of us fail to see. We might think about it in relation to a permanent facility. Some of you have a vision for this that is greater than the vision that others of us have, and we need you. Some of you have been able to see opportunities for service amongst each other that I've missed, that, that others of us have missed, and we need you. The, the gift of faith is able to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I know that you are able to do far more than I even think to ask, and so I'm going to do great things for you, and we need these people. Think of the gift of healing. Maybe as, as Reformed folk, we, we struggle to understand how this has present-day application in our church. But don't forget that many of us are here this morning, after we've gone through long and prolonged difficulties and, and sicknesses, because of the faithful prayers of those in this congregation who have the gift of healing. And we need you. 
We need you to exercise our gifts. Uh, it's so easy for us, I think, and we need to be very aware of this. It's so easy for us to think, oh, well, this kind of prayer is something I'm, I'm called to do. It's my Christian duty. But rarely do we connect our present health or our presence in this room with the, with the faithful prayers of God's people who've been given a particular gift by the Holy Spirit. So we need you. And we need you to be at work praying for God's people. Uh, those are just two ways, I think, in which we see that these gifts that Paul lists have deep and important meaning for us even today. God has given us these gifts to be used in community. And if we fail to use them, we're not, what we, we're not all that we ought to be. And, and, and so we, we need to take particular attention to the ways in which we may be disconnected. Now, if you're feeling this morning disconnected from the local church, and you're wondering, how do I use my gifts more fully? How do I get connected? Come and talk to us. Come to, talk to one of the deacons, one of the pastors, one of the elders. But, but, but don't be content to stand on the periphery or in the shadows. The Lord has called you to this place for a particular purpose. And, and that's just a, not just an added thing on top of your Christian life. It is your Christian life. It is the way in which you experience and walk with the Lord. And so a question for us as we close as you have experienced community in the church, what has been encouraging? And what has been discouraging? How does the biblical portrait of what the church is help you to evaluate your experiences wisely? As I said before, I think we need to make a shift in our thinking. And we're not all there explicitly, but I notice it in my own heart from time to time. And so I know that you all struggle with it also. But we need to make a shift in our thinking away from viewing the church merely as resource. As the place you go and when you're having a particularly difficult time, as the place you go for good preaching, and instead begin to view the church not merely as resource, but as community. As a divinely instituted community so that we could know what it is to dwell with God, to walk with God in service to one another. And so just really briefly, an application, this, this, this attitude will change our attitude from commodification to service, from, from merely viewing the church as just one option among many to serve our own spiritual needs to seeing these as opportunities for service to one another. It will change your attitude from judgment to self-examination. I think it's fascinating that in the chapter, the chapter previous to this one, chapter 11, when Paul says, all right, you, you Corinthians have been getting all kind of crazy around the Lord's table. Let each person examine himself. Not let each person examine the church or let each person examine everybody else, but let each person examine himself and discern the body. So, so it ought to change our, when we begin to make this change away from the church's resource to the church's community, we, one of the things or the effects that it ought to have in our hearts is away from judgment to self-examination so that we can be more fully engaged with our brothers and sisters. And finally, from disconnected to disciple. Really briefly, change can't happen devoid of relationship. Not meaningful, lasting change. Steve Hayes, who is a uh, Old Testament, uh, or sorry, New Testament scholar, he noted that all of the moral commands in the New Testament are given in the context of community. And now, that, now that means, of course, that individual, individual change is very important, but not individual, individual change for its own sake, but individual change for the life of the community. 
And so when we begin to make our, 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 change our attitude away from the church's resource to the church's community, one of the things it ought to do is encourage us to move from disconnection to discipleship in the context of our life together. And so as we continue these themes over the next two, week, two weeks, let's ask the Spirit to continue to impress deeply upon our hearts the glory and the wonderful gift that it is that he has drawn us into fellowship with one another so that we can know God better, that we can live out our Christian life together before a watching world, so that we can be encouraged, each one of us, and built up, but also use the gifts that God has given us for each other in love and in service for the life of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful for your word to us. We're grateful for the way in which you have been at work in our church family. Lord, as we reflect upon this past year, we are grateful for all those evidences of your grace, of your presence to us. Lord, we're grateful for all those ways in which you have continued to build us up in relationship with you and with one another. And Lord, as we consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, your words to us, Lord, help us to see how rich in meaning they are for us even today. Lord, help us to make this transition in our thinking away from viewing the church merely as resource. It's so easy for us to do, especially in our commodified, transactional, individualistic culture. Lord, instead, help us to view the church family that you have placed us in as deep and real and meaningful community. Lord, not that it will always be easy, not that it will always meet our expectations, but that even in the disappointments, Lord, you are calling us to greater service to you and to one another. Lord, we need your help. So in the weeks ahead, Lord, would you give us more deeply your Holy Spirit so that we can live in this truth, that we can begin to grow in our celebration of this truth, that we can live in community for your glory, for our joy, and for the life of the world. And we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.